Welcome to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour, a podcast about marketing, technology, and life. This is a landmark episode for us, our very first podcast guest. In this episode, we talk about the importance of SEO in your marketing mix. It's episode number nine, and it starts right now. Digital Marketing Happy Hours brought to you by Araxum, your resource for marketing and technology. For more information, go to araxum.com. That's A-R-A-X-A-M.com. So hopefully you know the drill by now. This is a happy hour. And what happy hour is complete without a few beverages. Ryan, what you drinking today? I am, again, sticking with the vino. It's summertime. I'm not necessarily a big white wine drinker, but uh, I was turned on to this uh, Chardonnay. It's called El Enemigo Chardonnay. It's from Argentina. It's L-E-N-E-M-I-G-O. And it's really good. It is, uh, James Suckling has it as like 98 points, but it's affordable. So sometimes when you hear things like that, you're thinking, okay, it's 100, you know, 100 bucks, 75 bucks, but uh, I found it for about $20. So that is what I'm drinking, Chris. What do you have? So I went with a Green Man Lager tonight. If you've listened to the podcast at all, I drink a lot of Green Man. It's one of my favorite breweries out of Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, And I just went with something light today, uh, just a standard lager, which is really a good drink. We have our beverages in hand, so let's get started. He's Chris Casale. I'm Ryan Smith. Thank you again for joining us on the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. As you can tell, digital marketing and marketing in general is a passion of ours, and we hope that you'll enjoy this special episode. Our goal is to help your business achieve results so you can reach your goals. So Ryan, I'm not going to lie. I figured it'd be at least 50 episodes before we convinced anybody to come in here and talk to us. But today is definitely a special episode. We've got our first guest, and if you've been listening to the podcast, you know that we've been running a series of episodes focused on SEO. Well, Our guest today is an authority in all things SEO. He's going to talk about starting an SEO business during the Great Recession, navigating the challenges of working with clients, especially from an agency perspective, and he's going to provide some insights and tips and tools he uses to generate revenue with his clients. So Ryan, let's bring in our guest. Today's guest is Damon Burton. He's the founder of SEO National, a regular contributor on Forbes, and the author of Outrank your guide to making more online by showing up higher on search engines and outranking your competition. Damon, welcome, and thank you for joining us on the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. Yeah, thanks, Ryan and Chris. Looking forward to chatting. So, Damon, we're really excited to have you on the show today. We've actually spent the last few episodes, kind of ironically, on Digital Marketing Happy Hour talking about SEO. As somebody that's been leading in this field, I guess for starters, can you share a little bit about yourself and sort of your experience with SEO? So I got into this world about 20 years ago, and 13 years ago is when I started SEO National. Uh, my background was primarily in web design, and, and if we even go one step before that, I got into web design through a hobby site, so I used to be big into cars, and so I started this car enthusiast website, and I stumbled across the server logs kind of before Google Analytics, and there was this program called Webalizer, and it's still around, I'm sure, but um, you know, analytics kind of took over that world of data. And so when I was clicking through it, I was like, holy smokes, I have traffic in here. And, you know, at the time I was early 20s. And so like I said, it was a hobby site. So I said, well, well, how do I get more traffic? How do I make this better? And and so then 
I took that and got more involved, made more of an intentional effort to learn design and you know better user experience and continue to grow that site. And then I said, well, how do I monetize this? And that's how I got into marketing. And I had a couple other project hobby sites along the journey that had some fun success stories. But um, through that journey, I kind of at one point was the guy that did websites on the side and and then I said, hey, I have something here. Let's let's do something with it. And then fast forward 13 years and now I got an agency. So when you talk about when you got started, that was roughly around the, the last recession. Is that correct? Yeah, I started SEO National in 2007. So the, the recession came out in 08, right? How did you handle that starting a new business and all of a sudden, you know, we enter this, uh, it's now called the Great Recession. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to look back on because I'm one of the few fortunate ones where I don't remember a bad thing at all from that time frame, at least for me personally. Obviously, there's the gray cloud that I know impacted others. So now with what's going on with the with the coronavirus, it's kind of like the same thing for me. Business is just killing it right now. And, and so again, I'm really fortunate. But what's interesting is I'm killing it for a different reason now. So before when it was in 07 going into 08, I think why I was so fortunate back then is because I was the budget provider. And so when I initially started the company, I knew that I was relatively new. I wouldn't say new. Like obviously, I think the difference was we could drive a return for cheap. So back then, we were around 300 bucks a month. And I, I'm always very morals driven. And so even though I knew other people were charging much more and I could probably charge a little bit more, I knew I was still figuring things out. And so that rate was good for me where I said, okay, I get enough clients, 300 bucks a month. They feel like they're getting a good deal. I still have a little margin of not error, but to learn and be more effective. And so I think that was to my advantage because then I could come in and when people were saying, well, the recession's going on, I need to stretch my dollar further, then I could come in and say, well, I can do that and I can do it cheap. But I also have a reason why I'm cheap is because, you know, I'm going to play around and we're going to have some home runs, but they, they might be a little stretched out or differently, or they, they might be really high peaks and then we might just have average. So I had the flexibility to be creative with how I drove results. And now I think where it's different for me is I'm on the other side of the coin. So now I'm not the budget provider. But over the course of those 13 years, I've established a killer track record. And so when you drive results for people and you still keep that transparency that I had before, then you set expectations, you build trust with your clients, and then they kind of welcome you into their inner circle. And then now I, it's, it's kind of the same thing. People need to stretch their dollar further. But for me, instead of, you know, maybe it's not so much with the types of clients that we deal with that it's as budget sensitive, but they want to make the right move. So they might not be saying, how do we stretch this dollar further? But they might be saying, who do we trust that is going to give us a, a good return on this? And so having established that track record over those 13 years, you know, we've been super lucky. And, you know, as a, I haven't looked at our sales in the last couple of days, but I checked them on the 10th of this month. And so as of the 10th of June, we've already done more sales than the entirety of May. Wow. So what are the industries that are you're seeing that because obviously I would say that's I don't even know if it's the exception to the norm, but a lot have been devastated. What industries are you seeing that is, you know, either growing or clearly there's a lot of positivity that's going on? Well, there's some of the obvious ones. I mean, that's not to say we've, we've had a couple 
We've had maybe two clients that kind of took a hit, but that that's kind of just luck with who we deal with. You know, one was in travel and tourism, so understandably they were hit. Um, and then the other was in event planning, so understandably they've been hit. But for us, it's been offset by all the others. And so some of the others are going to be the obvious ones, you know, like internet-based commerce sites and technology. But probably an industry that's been a little bit surprising or may not immediately come to mind is like consulting or like therapeutic services like counseling and I wouldn't have thought about that at face value but it makes sense now dealing with them so you know one example is a client that um, they help with you know positive mindset and so that makes a lot of sense where people are understandably impacted by this and so they're looking to stay level-headed so that's been interesting to, to see that spike among our client portfolio. I'm curious with the change in verticals that you're seeing, what is, what's the common theme or the common problem that these businesses that are reaching out to you are trying to overcome? Exposure. So it's, it's, I think half of them, it's, you know, obvious like, Hey, our our industry's moving online. Or one example is we have a local food and beverage company and they were super fortunate as well. And in one respect, we were already working with them to get them online. So they're a local retail chain that they're here in Utah. They're they're specific to Utah, but they have um, three locations. And so they already started moving online. You know, how do we take these orders online? Let's start working on SEO. Let's start selling our product nationally. And, and so they were lucky that they had a head start and they were halfway done with that launch. And then coronavirus hit and they're like, holy crap, we need to accelerate this. And so part of it is just obvious that it, it's probably going to be a while before everything goes back to normal. And so that leaves your only alternative as online. Uh, but then the other half is pretty normal uh, as far as from an SEO perspective. And what I mean by that is people just want more exposure. So regardless of the circumstances, they're saying, hey, you know, we see an opportunity where there's an audience online. And, and I think that it's kind of surprising that in some industries, it takes an event for them to realize that. It's almost like the internet is still new to some people. So it's it's a little bit of a balance of a, a blended mix of the obvious opportunity of getting more exposure online with the urgency of current economics. When you talk about that, when the clients say, you know, we want more awareness, how do you measure that to them? What, what are some of the key you know metrics to show uh, the growth or, or at least the state of where they're at? There's a couple phases to that. It depends on if it's a brand new website versus an established website. But basically what we do is we we run what I call like a pre-SEO report. And so we run a, a benchmark report where we go through this whole process of keyword research and competitive analysis. And we look at the market and say, okay, what are the long-term goals versus the short-term goals? And depending what all that data ends up telling us, then we finalize these keyword targets. And then those keyword targets then help guide us on our content strategy. And then once we get all of that tentatively approved, then we say, okay, now that we know that, where are we at now? And so we take a snapshot of where they show up on Google currently, what their traffic history is, and then we benchmark against that in future, you know, monthly and quarterly reports. So then we'll look back and say, all right, so if this is a an existing site and they have historical data to look at, then we say, okay, is it improving? But if it's a new website, then what we, we do is we start with rankings. And so we'll look at, we'll run a report on those keywords that we agreed to target. And we'll say, okay, well, they're, the, the website doesn't, you know, it didn't exist three weeks ago. And so it's nowhere to be found on Google. And so then after month one, we'll run a report again and we'll say, okay, are we on page 19? 
obviously nobody's going to find you on 19. And so because nobody's going to find you on 19, there's no visitors, which means there's no traffic, which means there's no sales. So we don't look at that data yet. So we just continue to look at rankings until, until they get far enough up into page one results to generate traffic, which generates sales. So the, the first measurement is, okay, are we going from page you know, oblivion to 19 to 15 to 8 to 6 to 3 to 2 to 1? And then as that goes up the results, then we can start to gauge traffic. And so we go, okay, they get 10 hits a day, now they get 50, now they get 100. And then we start, uh, once sales start to happen, or if, if the transaction occurs offline, then we look at you know leads or forms or whatever the measurable goal and conversion is. Then we start to look at if that's increasing. And then ultimately, obviously, you know, sales are what matter. And so when we get enough of the other variables, then we can start to measure sales. So generally, we don't like to spend a lot of time on the podcast talking about tools because we feel like the SEO industry in particular is so saturated with them. But at the same time, we spend a lot of time talking about the importance of data and measuring. So you, you talked about, you know, kind of starting with Webalizer. What are the tools that you're primarily using? Is it mostly free stuff like Google Analytics or are there other things that you work in there to help track and measure that performance over time? On just the, the performance, yeah, it's pretty standard stuff. It's, it's a combination of analytics and then a, a rank tracking software. Um, we use a lot of other software. We use way more tools while we're, you know, quote unquote, in the battlefield. So when we're doing these things, there's a lot of other tools we use, but it's strictly for measuring progress. It, it boils down to rankings and uh, sales and traffic and analytics. So are there specific tools that you use for that? Like I know I mentioned analytics, but uh, you know some of the ones that Ryan always talks about is you know Moz and SEMrush. Just trying to get an idea of how you're looking at those, you know, the page rankings. Specific to rankings, we use um, a tool called Rank Tracker by Website Auditor, or excuse me, by Link Assistant. So the authors are called Link Assistant, but they have a it's called SEO Power Suite. So they have a suite of tools. And within that, we'll use Rank Tracker. So we actually use two reports for rank tracking. Rank Tracker is the one that we'll use for on-demand reports if we need just like a quick peek into something. But then the reoccurring rankings that we look at are, we use a tool called AWR. And so AWR is very similar to something like SEMrush, where it just automates, it's cloud-based, and, and we'll just pull the data on a scheduled uh, reoccurring basis. For any of your clients, is local SEO a big part of it, or mostly are they all e-commerce online? Kind of none of the above. We have most of our clients are not local. So the ones that are local or are mom and pop and have brick and mortars, yeah, that's definitely part of the equation. So when we run AWR reports, then we'll measure the rankings, not only just in organic, but also in organic maps. And so you can, in tools um, like AWR and others, you can say, okay, when you're checking rankings, what set of data do you want to look at? Do you want to look at maps? Do you want to look at completely organic, a combination? Do you want to look at paid you know, PPC results? So on local clients, certainly, yeah, we look at that. But most of our clients are not local. They tend to be national service providers or brands. And so they don't usually have a brick and mortar, or if they do, it's not necessarily part of their strategy. In the last, and the reason why I asked, it seems like in the last year and a half, maybe two years now, Google really has seems to put a, a stronger emphasis on the Google My Business. And so with that, I was, I was curious how it, much that played a part when it's not a local that you put, how much emphasis is put into that as part of your overall strategy? Usually not a lot. If they have a brick and mortar, if they have a physical location, then it's part of our default processes. So we certainly go through and, you know, we have 
<laughs> I don't know if you can hear that. We got a guy that just decided to chainsaw down a tree outside the office. <laughs> so if you hear any noise, that's what's going on. <laughs> so, um, but they, any client that we have, if they have a physical location, that's part of the process is we'll go claim that listing or ask for access to it. And then we'll go through and use an aggregator like Moz Local and then um, consult. We'll have a reoccurring process, you know, maybe monthly where we double check back into Moz and say, okay, are there any duplicate listings? Is there any inconsistent, call it NAP, name, address, phone. So we'll see if there's any inconsistent data and we'll clean that up and consolidate duplicates. But Unless they have um, multiple locations or there is an increased value proposition for them servicing local, uh, other than just kind of the default process of claiming that and cleaning it up, it's not necessarily part of an ongoing strategy just because the sales for most of our clients don't happen at their physical location. So I'm curious, when you're doing an audit and coming up with a plan to help improve a client's organic strategy, and I realize some of this might be part of the you know, the secret sauce or the, the formula behind the scenes, but obviously there's multiple components to that when you're targeting certain keywords, content creation, also editing some of the existing things on the site, creating some additional structure to it so that they can rank a little bit better. But then there's some of the off-page stuff and link building. Do you have sort of a formula for how you attack each of those, or are there certain areas you put more emphasis in than others to ensure success? It depends on the client, which kind of maybe we'd go a, even a step further on how we board a client. So when we board a client, we don't do packages. And the, the problem that I see with packages is if we had a sales team, which we don't, then the sales guy is going to be incentivized to get the client to purchase the higher package. Or the client is understandably going to choose the most economical package. And then I know we wouldn't drive them the actual results that they needed because we're the budget is limiting what we actually do in fulfillment. So instead what we do is when we quote out a new client, it's specific to their industry, how competitive it is, um, if there is any geographical limitations. So for example, are they, uh, like we talked, a physical location that only services a city or a city versus state, state versus national, national versus international. So obviously the bigger you go, the more competition, which means the more time and more cost. So depending on that, then we'll say, okay, based on their level of competition and the industry they are in, then we need this type of strategy. So in some of those circumstances, um, we focus way more on content than link with the goal of uh, front-loading so much effort into a unique content strategy that it acquires links naturally. So there's that's one scenario. Another scenario might be the opposite. They may have a huge gap in their backlink portfolio. They're an established website, so they already have a ton of content. So it's very clear that backlink is where they need attention. So in that case, we'll, we'll figure out where the best opportunity is to acquire links and go down that path. And, you know, if it's just a mom and pop and a smaller client and their market doesn't necessarily demand links, then we'll do something else. So part of that initial audit and boarding process is to look at their backlink portfolio, because what a lot of people, I think, overlook they just think, oh, I need more links, more links, more links. But you need to look at that relative to your your market and your industry. So if you are, if you have a small business in a very specific small town with with relatively low competition, and your biggest competitor only has thirty backlinks, then that doesn't make sense for you to go try and acquire three thousand backlinks. So we take into consideration the quantity that's relative to their competition, and that can often you know, be a deciding factor in how aggressive we are with links. 
How do you go about getting backlinks? Do you have an aggressive PR push? Do you, you know, strictly just organic? You put out good content, it gets shared on social media, and then over time, you will get those backlinks. What are some of your tactics that you use? We definitely play more of a slow and steady side. Um, we have some partnerships where we've only had one, like we we never buy links unless a client straight up asks us to. And so we have one client that it's part of their ongoing budget where they want to be really aggressive with links. And so we have partnership networks and marketplaces where you can go and look at what links would be A, relative, and you know B, go quality control that site to make sure that they're not just... Um, kind of like a link farm and and being abused and so if they want to be aggressive then there's a whole bunch of quality control check and balance as you go through but most of the clients we focus on content and then one of the more successful strategies and a lot of people are familiar with is, is outreach and so you go identify other websites that are relevant to your client's industry and then you try and marry those sites with a piece of content that you produce and so you reach out and say hey you know based on your audience this type of content would be valuable and here's why and you try and share it and the only downside to that is it's super time intensive and so anytime you get into backlinks here's the trade-off really good backlinks that take forever or lower quality backlinks that are quicker and so it, it really depends on who the client is. If it's a small mom and pop that doesn't need a ton, then sometimes you can you can kind of get in and out with some just really basic links. But more often than not, most of our clients are bigger brands. It makes sense to protect that quality control and play the slow and steady route. Do you find it's when you get into this backlink conversation, what is the knowledge level of your clients? Because I've talked to before and backlink, you know, you could just see, have no clue what you're talking about. Do you come across that? And if you do, how how do you explain it to them and why it's, you know, so important in their SEO? It's all over the board, but usually our circumstances are probably a little bit different than others because usually by the time that people come to us, they, they're already educated on the process. And more often than not, they've been referred by another client or some sort of um, mutual contact. And so by the time most people come to us, we've kind of already proven ourselves some way externally. And so they're just ready to move forward. But the times that we do have these discussions, it's all over the board. So like you said, some have they're not familiar with what the concept of backlinks are. And so I'll have to explain that it's kind of like a popularity contest. So Google wants to know if other people are, you know, talking about you and every time another website links to you and talks about you, it's about the popularity contest. Then there are other ones that are familiar with the concept, but maybe a little outdated in that concept. And so they just want more, more, more. And we have to, we have to explain, you know, what's what, what a link velocity is. And we have to say, okay, hey, we can't go from you know you having 20 backlinks to you having 200 in 30 days because it just is it just if you spike it unnaturally, then then it can do more harm than good. And then every once in a while, definitely the minority, we have clients that are really familiar. We have two clients off the top of my head that are really savvy with internet marketing, and and they know exactly what goes into it. And and so we can just have a discussion and say, hey, here's the pros and cons of these different types of aggressiveness, and um, just let them decide. Has anything surprised you with the shift with COVID-19 and coronavirus? Uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously clients are searching for exposure. I think that's probably true at any point in time. But is there anything you're seeing slightly different now compared to three months or six months ago? Not so much. Uh, I think I'm a little biased in 
simply because the types of clients we deal with, like I was touching on just a moment ago, most of the time that somebody engages us, they we, we've already established some sort of trusting relationship through an external piece of content or referral or they've been following something we post online. Um, so nothing has really changed for us specifically. Um, I think in SEO in general, though, one thing that's kind of always interesting to me is people are always getting caught up with the new latest shiny thing. And for me, I've always stuck to, uh, you can almost look at SEO having core pillars. So an example might be good site structure and you know quick page load, good user experience. Another pillar is good content, unique content, continued content. And then another pillar is external credibility and backlinks. And, and so every time there's this new shiny thing that comes along, it seems like a huge chunk of the SEO market just goes all in on that and then just abuses it until it's devalued. And so instead, what we've done, which has worked out nice for us because we've never had a client have a penalty for you know, duplicate content or low quality backlinks or any of these major algorithms that have come along over the years. Because instead of saying, hey, here's that new shiny thing, what we do is we say, okay, how do we how do we kind of back that in to an existing core pillar? And then because we already have those existing, the, the quality control measures established for um, those existing core pillars and we already have processes for them, then we can kind of back that new shiny thing into a proven process or a safe process instead of just going, oh, there's this fancy thing and let's just beat it until it's no longer valued. So that's always been surprising to me is that there aren't more people willing to play the slow and steady game, especially knowing that SEO by nature is a slow and steady game to begin with. No, I definitely, I always say that, you know, the PPC is the sprint, SEO is the marathon, and you have to manage expectations with that. You know, we talked a little bit about the COVID-19 and the pandemic, and it's really interesting. Those that only invested in PPC, they were eliminated from the search engine results rankings as soon as uh, those that are in brick and mortar retail mom and pops that no longer could advertise, but they didn't invest Mm -hmm. in the SEO. They just basically disappeared. Those that had the balance of SEO and PPC, when they either pulled back their PPC budget or eliminated it completely... Because of the investment they've had over time with SEO, they were still, you know, had visibility in the search engine results page. And I think one of the lessons just, you know, kind of starting to look back a little bit uh, since this pandemic started in, you know, in, in March 2020 is the fact where it hit the businesses anyway, is the fact that those that invested and had a balance, a good mm-hmm. marketing mix stayed relevant. And, and maybe people weren't ready to buy at the time for those industries that were hit. but they weren't out of sight, out of mind for those who only yeah. invested in, you know, in that PPC. And I, I think it's just great where you have to manage expectations. You have to know SEO is going to take a while. It's going to take several months. You know, don't even look at your rankings at, you know, for the first six months if you're just starting off because you're yeah. going to be disappointed. But um, but that nice balance, I think those are the ones who are going to have a better time or better chance when people start spending money again that uh they're gonna they're probably going to get that revenue or more of it than those that had no visibility for sure and the you used a term that explains exactly that and that's staying top of mind and and that goes into so many other potential values with covid which is you know social proof and the your your audience when they need your thing they're going to buy your thing so it's the difference between whether they remember you or see you 
when they're ready to buy. So I, I do a lot of other discussions and podcasts about the value in social proof and just to kind of bring a little bit of that over to the SEO side. What I talk about on social proof is like giving away the farm and, you know, get on Facebook or LinkedIn or Instagram or wherever your audience is and just give away free value. And, and I know it sounds super cliche, like give away free value, but like if you can get on there and just give away the answers for free, if you go look at the content that I put out about SEO, you know, earlier, I think it was Chris that said, hey, this might be part of the secret sauce. I don't care. Like, I'll tell you all the secret sauce because your audience, like, you can't lose by giving away free content because you're you're only going to have a handful of types of, of listeners or consumers. And so what those consumers are is either they say, cool, Damon, that was great insights. And then they take your advice and run. So that person was never going to be my client anyway. So I didn't lose them. But what I did gain is somebody that went, cool, Damon. You know, now he's top of mind for when I need to tell somebody else that needs this thing because now I know Damon's area of expertise. Or you have somebody that's kind of in the middle, like, hey, um, I don't need that, but I know so and so that does. Or, you know, best case scenario, they buy your thing. So by staying top of mind, that's what is really driving. Like I said, they're, they're going to buy your thing when, when they're ready to buy your thing anyway. So you just need to be there when they're ready to pull that. So, Damon, one of the segments we have on the podcast is what we call our Keep It Light segment, and it's basically very simple. What are you binge-watching or reading these days that you'd be willing to share with us? Uh, I am the anti-binge-watcher, so absolutely, literally nothing. <laughs> I, I never watch TV, um, and if I find myself in a moment of downtime, um, you know, once I'm off the clock, I'm hanging out with my wife and kids, and if they go to bed early or something, um, I'm back at work. Like, work is kind of my hobby, so um, I can't do anything not productive. It just kills me. So not even a book you would recommend other than your own? Um, I'll do Audible, yeah, but even Audible, it's it's um, you know still all productivity related. Um, let's see, what was the latest one I downloaded? Let me go see what it was here. I just pulled a new one the other day. One of the two. Uh, so while I'm looking at this, I'll tell you two books that um, you know probably had the greater impact on me or or benefited directly to some sort of improvement to our processes. So one was Four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss, obviously, everybody's heard of that one. Um, what I learned from that one was. You know, nothing like super, no no big light bulb moment, a lot of the stuff I was already doing. But what I took away was, you know, at the time, which was probably eight years ago, I had four or five employees. And I said, why do I not share more of my responsibility so I can focus on growing the company? And so within probably a month of finishing that book, I kind of doubled our staff. And so I had nine or 10 employees. And then also around the same time, for the same reason, to, to improve scalability, I just finished E-Myth Revisited. And it, a lot of people are familiar with that as well, where the concept of the book is make your business dependent on processes instead of people. And so that way, as people come and go or you need to scale, you can plug people into your processes instead of trying to plug processes into your people. Um, all right. The latest one I downloaded, I haven't listened to it yet, is Extreme Ownership. Um, a lot of people are familiar with this one as well, How U.S. Navy Navy Sales Lead and Win by Jocko. Damon, thank you so much for spending time with us on this podcast episode. If anybody wants to learn more about you, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn, just my name, Damon Burton. I'm fairly active on Facebook as well. I'm not on TikTok, so don't look for me there. And um, I just wrote a book called Outrank. And if you want a free copy, I'm doing that for the next week or so at freeseobook.com. Damon, thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, guys.
So in the interest of consistency, my keep it light this week, with all that talk of productivity, I'm almost too embarrassed to admit that I started watching The Floor is Lava on Netflix. And it's absolutely ridiculous game show where groups of three have to traverse a room without falling into the lava. It's completely ridiculous, but the nice thing is it's mindless and it requires absolutely nothing of me, which I kind of needed the last week. So that's what I'm binge watching. What about you, Ryan? You know, keeping it light, we both, if we kind of talked about in the past, are, are, you know, love sports. I love really all sports and including soccer. So to be able to see now that uh, the Bundesliga, the German soccer league, the English Premier League uh, recently just got back on again. So excited about that. And, you know, you and I both love the horses and the, uh, the Belmont just went off. So that was great. So for me, I'm just, you know, watching sports in empty stadiums and loving it. We would like to hear from you. If you heard something you loved, better yet, heard something you hated, let us know. We'd love to get your feedback. Please send us an email to podcast at araxum.com. That's podcast at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. Also, please find us on social media. You can hit me up on LinkedIn by searching for Ryan Smith Marketing, or you could even search for Araxum in LinkedIn. Additionally, if you're on Twitter or Instagram, my handle is Ryan Smith FLA. That's R-Y-A-N-S-M-I-T-H-F-L-A. And I'm on Twitter at Real Chris Casale. That's R-E-A-L-C-H-R-I-S-C-A-S-A-L-E. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. We hope it will enlighten your day. After all, it is our mom's favorite podcast. Hopefully it's Damon's mom's favorite podcast too now. And on that note, Chris, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Digital Marketing Happy Hour. This week's episode is brought to you by Araxum.com, your digital resource for marketing and technology. Visit Araxum at A-R-A-X-A-M.com. The music intro you heard is called Pure Adrenaline by Eddie off the album Too Damn Loud. You can learn more at CactusSlimRecords.com. The music used for closing credits In My Pocket by Jazzer, you can find it on their album message. Learn more at betterwithmusic.com. Thank you for listening.